Did you say what kind of animal was that attacked her? So yeah, there's any type of animal attack. Statistically, there's been more animal attacks, mysterious deaths, people gone missing. In other news, local authorities remain perplexed by the animal attacks. What attacked her in the woods? An animal. What else could it have been? Welcome to the first official episode of It Was an Animal Attack. I'm Sandita. And I'm Fadzai. And we are your home for the Supernatural Drama Series. We are here to begin our journey, or rather our retrospective, into the Vampire Diaries. And our first subject, we'll say, (laughs) of retrospection is none other than Vicky Donovan. Now you might say, Vicky Donovan, of all the characters in the Vampire Diaries, that's going to be your lead charge, your primary start. But Vicky really marks the beginning of the troubles in Mystic Falls and in the show at large. If you really think back on that first season, Vicky is the primary focus of the first arc, the like first eight or nine episodes of the first season. She is the first main character, potentially character at all in the show to be turned into a vampire in the order of the episodes, not chronologically. And she is the first main character, unfortunately, to die. So, probably a super apt place to start, actually, is Vicky Donovan. Because if you can recall, what was your impression of Vicky in the time that she was on the show? The the phrase that comes to mind is gone too soon. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, Vicky's actress, Kayla Ewell, I believe that's how her surname is pronounced. Love Um, woman. I've never met her. She, <laughs> we assume we assume she's lucky. She was she was actually billed as a a main character for the first season of Vampire Diaries, and yet sadly her character is only around for seven of the twenty two episodes. By the time that I got into Vampire Diaries, since I started at the end of season two, she was already long gone. But when I went back and I watched the first season, it was very clear how integral she was to the way that things ended up progressing throughout the show. At least certainly in those first two seasons. I remember her being party girl, very... I think because I was much younger at the time. And because, I mean, I'm sure there's some, like, internalized misogyny to it. I remember sort of viewing her as that archetype. She's that girl who's in trouble but doesn't want to be saved. And so there's usually, like, a negative light to that kind of character where you sort of start to blame that character for their circumstances. I think for sure there was, like, an element to my perception of Vicky back then that was like, God, man, if you just made the right decisions, Mm. maybe you wouldn't be in such a tough situation. I definitely do not feel that looking back. I do think... I mean, mean, we'll jump into it, right? So Vicky Donovan, elder sister to main character Matt Donovan, which I didn't realize. I really the dynamic of that relationship feels like Matt is the older one. Oh, you thought you thought Vicky was younger? I thought Vicky was younger. Again, first two seasons, right? That's my blind spot. Because she's really only there in the first season. And I've seen the first season once and it was after I'd seen like the bulk of the show. So in my mind, Vicky was his younger sister. But it brings into question Vicky's Matt's older sister and Jeremy's Elena's younger brother. So it's like, how did that connection occur? They're all teenagers, and I think I think she she gets involved with Jeremy in the summer before the TV show starts. Yes, so that's why I'm like, 
senior Vicky Donovan looks at this like grade 10 kid and is like, yeah, like that dude's hot. Not in a sense of like age discourse, but in a sense of like, wow, I think back on when I was in the trick and oh, anyone younger than me was just like such a loser. <laughs> I, I mean, technically she would have still been like a junior. She wouldn't have started her senior year yet. So junior, junior and a freshman. For what it's worth. Oh, okay, okay. Am I am I one grade up? So she's eleven, and then Jeremy was nine. In the in the summer during which they would have started this relationship, and then they go back to school, and then he gets into grade ten, and she's in grade twelve. Both minors, both teens in a small town, and of course, both going through real tense situations. She didn't have a great family life. Jeremy had unfortunately just lost his parents. It kind of makes sense. So the Donovan kids grew up. I wouldn't say on the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, within the parameters of this town where everyone's a founding family and everyone's like middle to upper class to like super rich, they are like the poor kids by comparison. Yeah. And their dad is nowhere to be seen, not to be spoke of. And their mother is kind of this negligent, almost nomadic kind of character. You really don't even see her until like way late into the first season. Very much partied it till the sun goes down because there are no other prospects for me in my future kind of character which is unfortunate but she's a lot of fun was also the love interest of main character tyler tyler lockwood one of my least favorite i mean i don't like any love triangles oh was that a sarcastic oh <laughs> No, it was it was genuine surprise. I didn't know that you were not a fan of love triangles. Oh, can't stand them. Absolutely can't stand them. To be honest, I mean, the, this 2010s period uh, for teen dramas and definitely, definitely supernatural dramas, uh, just a lot of love triangles. So I can understand why it, they might have gotten a bit boring after a while. Yeah, but I, I just, it, that one especially, just like, it really was about them and not about Vicky. It was like, it so often was about Tyler and Jeremy being at loggerheads than it was about Vicky. And I think that's what kind of frustrates me about it. But in the same way that I feel about all other life triangles where it kind of gives me that vibe, but it's fine. We should just jump straight into Vicky's events on the show. Somewhat brief, but I think somewhat pivotal as well. So pilot episode, when we meet Vicky, it's largely a, a introduction scene for Jeremy, who is Elena's younger brother. Again, the Gilberts have just died. Jeremy's summer has been fraught with, I guess, depression and kind of like losing his direction in life. He's dealing drugs, right? I think he was dealing pills. Elena had been prescribed medication, like probably painkillers, in the aftermath of the car accident that killed their parents. And I believe there was some left over that he was now like stealing from the medicine cupboard and selling to teenagers around town. So he's selling pills to Vicky. Vicky then sort of rushes back over to Tyler, her actual boyfriend, um, who's like giving her shit for hanging out with this freshman kid, I suppose. Well, he was by, by then he was a sophomore. Tyler just kind of finds the Vicky in everything. Later, we see Vicky at the grill, at the Mystic Grill in town where her brother works. He doesn't work here at this point. He only starts working there in season two. Jeremy feeling, I guess, somewhat needy because the whole dynamic with Jeremy and Vicky is that they had a thing over the summer that was largely physical and then she kind of moved on from it and he is in love with her. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's like what we enter in with. Yes. So Jeremy's here being like the sort of younger kid, being really like, please talk to me. I love you. I can't stop thinking about you. Why would you leave your bum ass boyfriend for me? And she's just like, <laughs> I, th- I think we have very different ideas about what happened this summer. Later on, I think Jeremy runs in on Vicky and Tyler having an argument. And Tyler gets a bit physical, which I think we're supposed to attribute, maybe not at the time, but later look back on and realize that's got something to do with the full moon and Tyler's like impending werewolf discovery. I will, I will, I will say that I think Tyler and his father were always aggressive. And later on that is explained as just being how werewolves are, even when they haven't activated their curse yet. Again, Jeremy comes in with a lot of Tyler's not good for you. He really sucks. This doesn't make sense to me. And really the the most key thing that happens in this first episode, when I say key, I mean the thing that happens that ties Vicky to the central plot is that she gets attacked in the woods. She's by herself. After the encounter with Tyler and Jeremy, she heads off. She's by herself. She gets attacked by an unseen figure. Jeremy discovers Vicky unconscious, bloody neck. She looks real messed up. They assume, of course, that it is an animal attack. Uh, Rim shot in the background. (laughs) And (laughs) afterwards, they head her off to the hospital. We, of course, having already met Stefan at this point, who is, I mean, the first vampire that you meet at the show, we have to assume blood on the neck, wound on the neck, Vampires exist. This must be another vampire that's attacked her. And Stefan makes the same assumption. Somewhere at the end of the episode, I think, is when Damon shows up and Stefan realizes that his brother's attacked. That's really Vicky for the first episode. They pick up from that in The Night of the Comet, which is the second episode, where she's just kind of unconscious for most of the episode, and it's Matt and Jeremy occasionally, like, checking up on her. I think Matt stays there the whole night that she's in hospital and then comes back the next morning. And she's been screaming, apparently waking from unconsciousness and screaming. And at some point she mentions a vampire and Matt hears that and takes that to Elena. But later onwards, when he comes back and he asks her explicitly, what attacked you in the woods? She then says it was an animal. I think in between, Stefan manages to sneak into the hospital to get to a room to like try and compel the the memory out of her because he's concerned someone knowing about vampires is going to expose him and i mean any other vampire who's kind of like living peacefully they're not necessarily so concerned about other vampires very early on in the show i guess because they believe to be the only ones in mystic falls at present yes i guess because mystic falls so specifically in the 1800s had like a big burning of vampires yeah and because the founders council has been actively trying to keep them out for so long right but are the salvators aware of that i think given that stefan at least seems to have been popping in and out of mystic falls every couple of years that's why he knows who quote-unquote uncle zach is and later on when the founders council does become aware that there's definitely a vampire in town one of them i can't remember who it is between the lockwoods and carol forbes one of them is like they're back so clearly they were under the impression that there were no vampires in the town for quite a while. And I guess, of course, he was in Mystic Falls as late as three or four months before the pilot when he rescues Elena from the car crash. Yes. So he must have known that. He, he must be aware of like the goings-on in the town. But yes, Stefan heads into hospital. 
to find Vicky, try and compel the memories out. Matt kind of sees a shadow in the room, but the moment he gets in, like Stefan's already out, Van Bran out the window. So later when Matt speaks to her, she says it was an animal attack, what else could it have been? Which, I mean, once you've already heard someone scream bloody murder and say a vampire attack, it seems kind of strange for her to be super chill. I think in a, in a scene between Damon and Stefan, at some point afterwards, we learned that because Stefan has a diet specifically not of human blood, his vampire powers in general abilities are weaker from the average vampire. So there was concern that the compulsion might not have taken as well. So that comes into play a little bit later. After Vicky is cleared, she goes right back to her dinner therapy <laughs> and it gets some more pills. I, like I said, a lot of this early stuff is really just like, Vicky hanging out with Jeremy, Tyler being pissed about it, Jeremy and Tyler posturing. It's really a lot of that. But at the grill, Vicky sees Damon and recognizes him. And assumedly not knowing why she does, but feeling that just same apprehension and fear from the night that he attacked her. She heads to the restroom, bounce a bunch of pills. Then of course Damon attacks her again because Damon will be Damon, I suppose. Jeremy goes looking for Vicky. Matt also goes looking for her. Stephanie hears Vicky screaming. Stephanie hears with this enhanced jerk, of course, because he's a vampire. And runs to the top of a building where Damon is apparently threatening Vicky. Damon then compels Vicky and makes her believe that Stefan is in fact the one who attacked her. This is all just like part of this game that Damon's playing with his brother of like, why is Damon back in town? Damon has convinced him that he's like here specifically to ruin his life and make sure his happiness just like is destroyed forever. And that involves exposing him as a threat and a danger in this town. Damon then compels Vicky to forget it all. It's again a lot of Vicky just like being used as this object in these posture fights between like the men in the story. But later Vicky's reunited with her brother. Matt checks her for injuries, thanks Stefan for his help finding her. I think this is at a point where Matt and Stefan, or at least Matt kind of dislikes Stefan because Stefan is moving in on his ex-girlfriend who he still in his heart believes is his girlfriend, so that's a whole other thing. And at the end of it, Vicky goes back to Tyler and they have a romantic moment and Jeremy, dejected, can only watch on. It's, it's not very exciting for these early episodes. <laughs> It really is just like, yeah, she's just going through it a bit and a lot of guys are like fighting about her. Sorry. She's also within the framing of the show. She's Damon's first victim. She's what he's decided to toy with, especially I think since Damon has been watching Stefan. I think once he realizes that, oh, this is the sister of a guy who's central to the friend group of this girl that Stefan is interested in, toying with her is even more fun because if there's one person that Stefan doesn't want to know the truth, it's Elena. And Elena is obviously not, she's not personally close to Vicky, but she's very connected to Vicky through other people like Jeremy and Matt. This weird game of like chicken that the closer, the closer he pokes, well, maybe Elena's gonna start asking questions. Maybe Elena's gonna start looking at you, the strange new guy in town, and see you in a different light. I think the next real, again, it's a lot of her, Tyler, and Jeremy, them trying to, like, reconcile whatever's happening there. I think Jeremy, like, outright asks her if what happened between them initially wasn't real and she was just sleeping with him for the drugs. And she, I think she doesn't answer straight up, but later onwards she comes back to him when he's like doing his emo boy shit, <laughs> just like staring at the ceiling or staring at the sky or something. I remember like that. And she assures him that it wasn't just about that and she does really like it. Which I guess is sweet, but it's like, now what with Tyler, you know? I think she tends to use Jeremy as sort of a 
comfort blanket when everything else is letting her down like when the substance abuse isn't enough or when tyler is mistreating her then she she finds safety in jeremy at the founders party i believe which happens not too long after that Mm -hmm. she essentially guilt trips tyler into bringing her along like he doesn't really want to and then she lampshades it so then eventually he's like okay i invite you (laughs) to come along as my date and i think jeremy actually hears that conversation and later on he points out to vicky he's like you realize you had to tell him to invite you, right? And Vicky sort of just brushes him off. And then at the party, Tyler is like actively trying to keep her away from his family because there there seems to be a sense of shame. Like you said, it seems that Vicky and Matt don't come from as privileged families as the rest of the central kids. And I think it's his mom that makes a bunch of like snide comments at the dinner. And then there might have been a scene where she confronts it directly, like in a bathroom or something. Essentially, it's the like rich mom of the blue black kid and the like wrong side of the tracks love interest who she doesn't want messing up his future is that kind of dynamic it's very like salacious but also wow the lockwoods really suck but yeah you're on dead to me episode five at this point post the dinner where tyler really mucks up i think just like doesn't come to vicky's defense at all doesn't intercede at all when his mom is like on the attack and she decides well i guess you're not in this like you said she goes straight for jeremy at the end of that episode and we open in the new one with her at the gilbert house big elena gets up to go to the bathroom and she just sees Vicky and is like, oh, all right, well, I guess that's happening. (laughs) Vicky and Jeremy hang out in his room. She finds Elena's pain medicine, as you mentioned, from the car crash, which I, I think she takes without Jeremy's knowledge. And then later they go to hang out in like the cemetery and she and her friends kind of group up. She's friends with all the like burnout, outcast kids in town. Jeremy, who... For as much as he is in this like phase of rebellion and devil may care attitude he's got going on, he is at the end of the day like a founding family kid. He is that upper class kid in this small town. So when he's actually transplanted into this group of kids who, I don't want to say have actual problems because of course Jeremy's grieving his dead parents. It's an awful thing to happen. But when he's put against these characters who just like, our actual like burnout like we don't really have much prospects for our future we are kind of coasting through it as best as we can you can see the stark difference because he becomes very like frustrated doesn't really fit the vibe of them and he doesn't like the vibe of them and he asks vicky if like this is all there is to it this is all that they do all day and vicky gets naturally defensive because at the end of the day these are people i think after the encounter with the lockwoods especially it's like if you're gonna go the same route of tyler where it's like you're gonna question my choices and my actions because of my lot in life then you're just as bad as the guy you were upset that i was with you know so that's a really interesting dynamic yeah she also she does acknowledge that jeremy is grieving and that something terrible has happened but she she paints it as just like a a rough patch in his life that he's going to ultimately get over and comparing it to her own life it makes it seem as though she just sees her future as completely hopeless like this is not something that she's transitioning through this is just her lot in life this is her fate she's never going to have what jeremy and all these other kids have and that one day when jeremy has at least finished grieving his parents he'll be better off than she is of course that doesn't turn out to be true because of all the vampire 
shenanigans that he ends up embroiled in. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's at the end of this episode when still being in the cemetery with 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 all of her friends, sort of getting high. She goes over to turn the music back on on their car and sees a man leaning against it. And when she goes to prompt if he's all right, it of course turns out to be Damon who attacks her for the third time in this season. I really was just like writing these down sort of going, God damn it, would you just leave her alone, please? She's got enough going on. Her next episode, Lost Girls, opens up and we see that Damon's actually killed everyone in the cemetery, not just Vicky. He thinks he's killed Vicky. Vicky wakes up when he's busy trying to burn all the bodies and, like, cover his tracks. When he's going to douse Vicky with alcohol, she wakes up. Oh, Stefan gets his ring at some point in a prior episode, and I think that's why Damon's acting out and, like, attacking people in town to try and push Stefan's hand. He ends up trapped at their boarding house. When it's daytime, Stefan's gonna be bringing him his ring, but he's brought Vicky to the house, who's just kind of chilling. He feeds her his blood because, I mean, at first I believe it's just to, like, heal her so she doesn't die since she managed to survive. I think he calls her, like, a fighter or something. Yes. But then, because of her her, like naturally addictive personality she starts getting a high off of his vampire blood and so they spend some time feeding off each other and partying and like drinking it's this very like bizarre sequence of events where it's like i'm sure rationally she knows this is the guy who's attacked her but he could very easily just compel her to forget that i'm sure she pulls a picture from stefan's room i think she pulls Catherine's picture and asks him about it. It's like, who's this? Because this obviously looks like our brother's ex-girlfriend, Elena. This pisses off Damon for whatever reason, and he snaps her neck. Do you remember why she... Is it just that he was angry, or was there something specific that he wanted out of turning Vicky into vampire? I do remember that, actually. Uh, Vicky is opening up to him about her worries and woes. She actually compares herself to Matt in that scene. Well, obviously, they have the same family, but she feels that, unlike her... Matt actually has a future. Despite the fact that Elena and Matt are broken up, Vicky, like Matt, seems to think there's still a strong possibility that they'll get back together. And she says that, oh, Matt's destiny is to marry Elena and have babies and get have this good life with her. And then she says when she looks at her future, she really can't see anything. She doesn't see herself amounting to anything. And then Damon acknowledges that, yeah, your life sounds pretty bleak. And then he takes her face in his hands and says, I think I know what can help you. And she says, what? And then he says, death, and snaps her neck, <sighs> knowing that his blood is in her system. Oh, <laughs> and later on, once she has become a vampire, she asks Damon, why did you do this to me? And he nonchalantly replies, I was bored. Yeah. That's, that's Damon like for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> waking up in transition now, as does happen when you die with vampire blood in your system. She doesn't really believe anything he's saying because I guess, you know, in the haze of compulsion, you're not just going to believe a strange man who rescued you from a graveyard attack that, that, like, he's turned you into a vampire. She runs off, finds Jeremy, but she starts experiencing all the typical symptoms of, like, vampirism. She finds a sensitivity to sunlight. She has this strange hunger that's burning within her. Jeremy thinks she's high, which is not an unreasonable assumption. And he rings up Matt. Matt gets there, can't really help. Vicky's just progressively becoming more agitated. 
by them hounding her about what's happened. By the time that, because I think Elena was called in, Elena and Stefan arrive, and Stefan, of course, immediately realizes what's happening and tries to use a compulsion to calm her down. He explains to Elena, because at this point, Elena's aware of vampirism. I think that happens in the fifth episode when she finds out like what he is. Stefan explains to her the process of like, this is a vampire in transition. For her to become a full vampire, she's going to feed on human blood. But if she doesn't drink blood, then she will simply die. At this point, they've left Vicky alone with Jeremy, which seems like a crazy idea to me. I guess because they were just assuming that Stefan's compulsion would calm her down. But based on the track record with Vicky specifically so far, you would assume that's not going to work completely. I actually, I don't recall if compulsion works on people in transition or not. That's the other thing I was going to ask, is like, we know compulsion, a vampire can't compel another vampire unless you're an original. What are the compulsion rules of people in transition? I'm not sure. Also, this is, these are the early episodes. The writers themselves might have not yet decided what was Decided, what. yeah, ex exactly what they wanted to do, yeah. Regardless, whether it was because compulsion wouldn't work anyway, or because Stefan's specific compulsion is weak, Vicky heads out. She feels a compulsion to feed on Jeremy, and she's like, oh no, this isn't great. I guess I'll just dip out, because I don't want to kill this kid. I kind of like him. And she runs off. Stefan says he's going to track her down, and heads out. And he does find her crying in the woods. I guess a key effect... I know this, this only... Having started at the end of season two, this only became known to me when Elena was going through her vampire transition. And the process of becoming a vampire, any compulsion that was done on you as a human fades away. Yes. Like slowly and then all at once. And so you start remembering all the memories that were compelled away. And so she starts to remember the things that have happened to her and that Damon attacked her and that Damon has already told her all this vampire knowledge. And she becomes more distraught, reasonably so. Stefan promises that he can help her, but at this point, Logan Fell, who is just a, a real chief character, a real <laughs> stand-up guy, shows up and shoots Stefan with some wooden bullets. What was... I know Logan was a newscaster, but was he also in with the like town council crew? Is that was that his vibe? Yeah, he was actually. Yes, yes, he was in with the town council, and he is a fell, which means he's a founding family member, which means he was. Yeah, he was aware of the vampires in town. I remember him also having the watch, the John Gilbert watch that could track vampires. I think he stole that from the Gilbert home when he went inside to talk to Aunt Jenna about their history at a certain point. He shoots Stefan in the back with wooden bullets. He then grabs a stake and goes for Stefan, but Vicky pushes him away. And that's when Damon arrives and bites Logan. He pulls the bullet out of Stefan, sees that it's wooden, and this is when they realize that people have caught on that they're vampires in town. Takes back his daylight ring, and in the haze of it all, like, Stefan's wounded, Damon is focused on his own exploits. Vicky goes over to Logan and feeds on him, thereby completing her transition into a vampire. She does apologize to Stefan, which I think is kind of like, I think there's a quality to Stefan where people realize he's just trying to do right by people. And even like Vicky, who has no reason or obligation to Stefan. She's like her brother's ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend. Like no reason to care about Stefan at all. But she does take a moment to go, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't stop myself. And then runs off. After that, Stefan goes back to Elena and lets her know what's happened. And then he couldn't help Vicky, but he's going to try and get her on his animal blood diet strictly no demons which i mean there's an argument to be made right because 
vampires and blood there is a it may not be one-to-one -one, but there is a comparison to be made to like getting high or like consuming any sort of risky substance quote unquote and vicky who is known to abuse substances very often the moment she tastes vampire blood as a human you get that sense of like oh this is another high and so it's not an unreasonable extrapolation to go well i mean if she's a vampire and you're feeding off of humans and it's this whole heightened emotional state it might not work out as well as you hope mm. haunted is the seventh episode in this episode vicky attacks tyler which you know Who's, who's real cut up about that one? I feel like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe season one, Tyler probably had it coming. Season one, Tyler needed to get bit a little bit, frankly. <laughs> uh, the Salvatore brothers stop her. Damon compels Tyler, which is. Uh, can. Okay, because we've had conversations around like untriggered werewolves. Yes. And what does and doesn't apply. Does compulsion work on werewolves? Compulsion does work on untriggered werewolves. There's no point There's no point in the show where that is contradicted by anything that happens in later seasons. Granted, there aren't that many untriggered werewolves in the show. It is really yes. just Tyler and then Tyler again later in the show. <laughs> so not a huge sample size to work with. Devin spends really most of the episode trying to get Vicky to drink animal blood. Damon spends most of the episodes counteracting his efforts and saying she needs human blood. Later in the episode, at some point, there's a party and Elena finds Vicky, who's escaped. Thanks to Damon. <laughs> Wait, is it really? What did Damon do? Well, while, while Stefan is trying to teach um, Vicky to be a quote-unquote vegetarian vampire, Damon thinks that's boring and doesn't want another Stefan in his life. So he's like, just let, let her be. Let her be what she is. Let her be what we are. And I think possibly... I mean, Damon later claims that he turned Vicky because he was bored, but I think possibly in as much as Damon was able to feel sympathy for anyone at that point, maybe he truly thought that vampirism was a gift. He was always happy to be a vampire, proud to be a vampire. Maybe he really thought turning this girl into an undead blood-sucking creature of the night with heightened emotions she couldn't control, you know. Would significantly improve her life quality. <laughs> yes. He teaches her how to use the vamp speed, and then she runs away. She immediately runs away. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, and then she goes and talks to Matt and then later goes to the party where Jeremy is. And that's where Elena finds them. So she finds Vicky and Jeremy kissing. They hammer this point home every time someone gets turned into a vampire on the show. Vampires experience all the same emotions that humans do, but to a very heightened degree. And so it's very dangerous for a newbie vampire to be around a bunch of people, especially if the intention is to assimilate to regular human society, stick around to all the people you know and love. You've got to get those emotions under control. And she has not had the chance to do the Stefan course of emotional regulation. So she loses control. Elena's pissing her off. Elena, who rightfully is trying to protect her brother from what she knows now as a vampire, Vicky gets pissed off bites her and Stefan arrives priority one being protecting Elena stakes Vicky of course <laughs> he stakes her right in front of Jeremy by the way oh who has yes. to now watch this girl that he loves die oh yeah it is it is a rough moment but there really was no way around because Vicky was like off the rails by the end of that episode I mean you know and this this is something I've thought about wasn't there though because as the show goes on we see that the vampire equivalent of knocking someone out is to just snap their neck because they'll revive an hour or so later. Stefan could have yanked her off Elena and then broken her neck. He's been a vampire 
for over a century at that point. I'm sure he knows no, you're, you're how their bodies right. work. I, I'll admit my bias and that my instinct is always to defend Stefan. You are absolutely right. There were much easier ways to handle that. It's really kind of abrupt and unfortunate that like seven episodes in and that's the end of Vicky as a living character. It's It's like, how many episodes in? Five, six episodes in. You're dead as a human. You're turned into a vampire. Episode seven, you're dead entirely. That's it. Stefan stakes Vicky. Jeremy sees it happen. Jeremy's traumatized, of course. Elena tries to comfort him, but he is inconsolable. Already we've seen that, like, Jeremy has been struggling to deal with the grief of his parents. In fact, his turn to substance abuse severely. Jeremy has not been dealing, and this, like, sends him over the edge. So Elena calls Stefan, hoping that Stefan will be able to compel Jeremy to forget that Vicky had died. But Stefan, as has been established, isn't strong enough to do that. And so they have to rely on Damon to do it. He does volunteer to do it, which can be read as like, oh, generous Damon. I think to an extent, Damon can at least acknowledge that he is responsible for this Vicky fiasco. And that the pain that Jeremy is now feeling and the pain that Elena, who he's sort of developing respect for, is feeling because of her brother's pain is his fault, which is why he volunteers to because I don't think I don't think Damon's intention was for Vicky to die permanently. He thought he he thought he was gifting her with vampirism because it would be fun for him to watch and just a, a gift for her. Damon compels Jeremy to forget and leaves select memory vibes to make him believe that Vicky had just left town and that Jeremy would miss her, but ultimately it was for the best. Which is an insane choice when, like, I mean, granted they're up against the wall, but, like, Matt is still very much in town. Matt, Vicky's alive and well brother who has received no communication from her. If I recall correctly, I think they do fake communication from Vicky to Matt saying that she's left town. Using her phone? Oh, no. That's sad. So there's that. I mean, Matt didn't need to be compelled because he hadn't watched her die. And, you know, he hadn't seen her be a vampire. It's rough. Rough. R.I.P. Vicky. Really, the only person concerned... And I mean, this is a function of, like, their family standing in the town and the fact that, like, not very many people in town have, like, a high opinion of her. Really, just the sheriff is the only one asking questions about where Vicky Donovan's gone. And all the main characters have prepared the story to tell. Vicky's left town. Nobody knows when she's coming back. And, of course, Liz Forbes kind of has to just accept that. That's in episode eight. And we don't really cover anything about Vicky until towards the end of the first season, episode 17. Because at this point, everyone's working off the assumption that she's left town. But the Salvators have very much buried her body in the woods here in Mystic Falls. In Let the Right One In, the 17th episode of the first season, there is a storm that occurs. Caroline's driving to some family to do, I think she and Matt are like kind of vibing or potentially already dating at this point. So she heads out for Matt. She's going to a family thing. It's a terrible storm. Roads are closed. She gets stuck in the mud as she's trying to drive. She's got no cell reception. Because she can't call anyone, she gets out. I think she gets out like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And she slips and then she tries to grab on to steady herself. But then that begs the question, how close did they bury her to the road? I I think the storm was just causing a lot of the earth to shift because of like, like a landslide type effect. Yeah, the body, the body was basically exposed. And I think, I think there is a scene 
earlier on in the episode, if I'm if I'm not making this up in my mind, <laughs> where someone gives an offhand comment about the storm affecting the land around, which I think was meant to be a foreshadowing that, oh, any buried bodies that might be in town, <laughs> if it's a shallow, unmarked grave, <laughs> you might want to go better, check. You better check in on that. <laughs> Caroline steadies herself on a tree. She sees that what she's grabbed is not a tree root, but a human arm. The news is spread. Matt and his mom, Kelly, who has come back to town at a convenient time, are getting ready for dinner, and Caroline is there with her mother, the sheriff, and they inform the Donovans that Vicky's body has been found. Liz calls the mayor to let him know. They tell Tyler. Jeremy overhears this. I don't know what Jeremy's doing at Tyler's house. <laughs> Maybe there was an event going on or something. I don't know. Isn't there always? Always a Lockwood event or a town event going on in Mystic but that's how everyone finds out that Vicky is actually dead. Crops up again. Oh man, no. That really is it. For the first season. For a good long while. For the first season and the second season. Because in the second season, she only comes back up at the very last scene of the very last episode. But definitely the ripple effects of her presence are felt throughout that first season. I think it's guilt for what he does to her that slowly starts making Damon realize that there actually are consequences to my actions. Maybe I should consider the things I do before I do them. It, I mean, that begs the question, why Vicky when, because I'm sure there's a trail of bodies behind Damon on his way to Mystic Falls to come like torment his brother, right? Like why this one? Is it because you've now decided that like, hey, you actually want to stick around because there's this girl that you're interested in. I think it's the Elena of it all. Vicky is Elena's little brother's love interest and the ex-boyfriend that Elena still very much cares about is Vicky's brother. Is that guilt though in the sense of remorse or is that guilt because you don't want to appear in a bad light to this person? You want to see you as like a viable prospect. No, 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 no. At that point, Damon is not interested in Elena as a viable prospect. I think he just... Remember, this is still a Damon who wants to get Catherine out of the tomb. So I think at this point, Damon is just realizing that, oh, Elena is a human being that I might have some semblance of fondness for. And I feel bad <laughs> that I made her feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> So you think you think season one, Damon and Elena purely platonic? I think season one, pre-discovering that Catherine was not at the tomb in Damon's mind. Because I mean you can look at someone and think they're attractive. You can think that someone sure. is I mean an they look exactly person. like the woman you're in love with. Yes, but <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to pursue them. I don't think Damon truly had an intention of pursuing Elena at that point. I think initially it was just the the seeds of a friendship slowly being planted and then post empty tomb well it wasn't empty <laughs> there were 26 people in there right. but <laughs> post catherine post catherineless tomb then damon damon is now dealing with the fact that he's been lied to by her and all that nonsense by catherine and i think that's when he starts to fall out of love with the idea of catherine and start to see elena as a prospect and i think maybe that's why maybe that's why vicky was a main character for those seven episodes. She is she's pretty integral to the plot and she sort of ties different main characters together who might not otherwise be all that concerned with each other's feelings. It is colloquially referred to as the Vicky chapter. 
I think the first season split up into three, and it's the Vicky chapter, and then it's the Tomb chapter, and then it's the... I forget what the last one's called, but it's essentially when the town council is prepping to, like, kill all the vampires. Regardless, it's a huge jump to when we see her again in the finale of season two. For context, this is after, I mean, a torrent of events, truly a full season of danger and trauma and death and awfulness. But the core thing that's happened is that Bonnie, our resident witch, our bad bitch, who is dating Jeremy in season two, um, at least by the end of it. Yes, by the end of it. Newly, newly minted relationship. Uses magic against the warnings of her grandmother and her ancestors to revive a just gunshotted Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a whole other thing that we'll get into in a Jeremy episode. Or oh, one of these, some episode is going to cover this aspect of the season and we're going to get into why Jeremy was shot. Jeremy's been shot and he's dead. Bonnie uses magic to revive him, having been warned that there would be consequences and having then been cut off by her ancestors, which that's a whole other thing. Bonnie episode. So as a consequence of Jeremy being brought back from the dead, just so you can infer from what happens at the end of the episode, he starts seeing both Anna, a girl who he starts dating in the latter half of season one and is very integral to the plot, and Vicky as ghostly apparitions just sort of standing in his kitchen. That's really curtains all the way until <laughs> season three starts. When Jeremy cats away, Mouse will play because Bonnie is visiting her family at the beginning of season three. And while she's away, He's busy still seeing Vicky and Anna's apparitions sort of around all the time. In the first episode, when Jeremy's driving Matt home, Matt, who is drunk and high for whatever reason, I mean, there's a lot of horrible things happening, so just pick one. He suddenly sees Vicky in the car pleading for help. And he says Vicky, Matt's confused, but Jeremy just pretends it didn't happen and keeps going. But as he switches on the headlights, Anna's also there. When they get back, Matt asks him why he said Vicky. Jeremy says that he keeps seeing Vicky and Matt chalks it up to like trauma and grief because he sees Vicky all the time. He just misses her so much so he's conjuring the image of her. But in the next episode, Jeremy tells Matt that he's seen Vicky again. Now, with all the supernatural stuff that's happening, it's reasonable to assume that something supernatural is going on. So he wants to try contacting her again. Matt seems opposed at first but then agrees to help when Jeremy says that Vicky's only words were help me. So they go through her stuff, trying to find a personal item to contact her. Matt struggles going through her stuff, of course, but later he comes to Jeremy's house with some beers, said he's gone through Vicky's stuff, brought a bag of it, and Jeremy informs him that they've taken away his memory of Vicky dying. Does nobody uncompel that from him after he finds out he was compelled? Because I know Towards the end of season one, he is like real pissed at Elena because he's read her diary and he knows that they've compelled it out of him. Jeremy is aware at the end of season one that his memories about Vicky were compelled away, but I don't think anybody ever uncompels them. So I don't think he gets them back since he never transitions or anything like that. Because he basically read the transcripts in Elena's diary, he's, he's aware of everything that happened. <laughs> He got the cliff notes version. He knows yes. things, but like, what of it? Jeremy suddenly sees Vicky in his room while they're having this conversation. He asks her how he can help, and she says, 
there's a way she can come back. And then she crashes through a door because ghosts be ghosting. (laughs) Jeremy then hears Anna speaking. Anna's now speaking for the first time. And her great declaration is to not trust Mickey. So Jeremy really goes through it and is like, early season three, just dealing with these ghost girls he used to love. Ghosts of girlfriend past, you might say. The next episode, Klaus, who's like the big villain for this first arc of season three, and the last arc of season two, is busy trying to make his hybrids, orchestrated this big situation to force the hand of the main characters to figure out why he's not been able to do it. Jeremy has been kidnapped by Damon and Catherine because they know that Jeremy can speak to his dead girlfriend, Anna. Anna, who they believe is aware of who Klaus and Rebecca are running from to try and go wake that person up to come and deal with Klaus. So this is like the Michael inception of the season, I believe. Yes. Bonnie and Matt are searching for Jeremy because they need him in order to communicate with Vicky. Everyone's just trying to use Jeremy for his medium powers right now. But because they can't get to him, Matt decides, all right, well, you know, I can just do it. All I have to do is die, right? So it's a very memorable scene when Bonnie and Matt uh, try to kill Matt and then resuscitate him with CPR, which crazily works. And when he comes back, he's able to speak to Vicky. And Vicky, for whatever reason, volunteers the information. I guess because she wants to help them. I don't know why she wouldn't want to. But she does volunteer the information that Klaus's transformations aren't working because Elena is dead. At this point, this is to do with, like, Elena's doppelganger blood that was used to break the curse. She volunteers that information because she's already got ulterior motives at that point. Oh, right. Because at this point, she... And that information is actually misinformation. It's a lie that his hybrids aren't taking because Elena is dead, as we later on find out. It's the bluff that Klaus calls because he's clever enough to figure out where they must have gotten that information from. Damn, Vicky. <laughs> it's because Vicky, Vicky at that point on the other side where she's been existing and the reason that Anna has told Jeremy not to trust her is because she's already in communication with Esther, the original witch. So Esther, knowing that Elena's doppelganger blood is needed to create hybrids, which was the failsafe that she engineered into her hybrid curse, thinks, okay, last ditch effort to make sure Klaus can't make more of his kind. Let me just... Let me leave a trail of breadcrumbs that that misinforms my son that, oh, you need to kill the doppelganger and then it'll work. <laughs> yes, but Klaus, Klaus clocks it and he's like, mm, this feels like a lie. Why do I feel like <laughs> this is suspicious? <laughs> Just as I was about to say, that is a shame. I mean, it's brilliant because, like I said, Esther always in a mastermind era, but I was literally about to say Vicky becomes a more like compelling character with like a lot of agency in death than she does in life but you just reminding me now that like she's actually working for esther and then later on when she comes back in like the very last season she's working for catherine (laughs) vicky eternally spends her whole time in the show as a porn character as like this character who's being fought over or who is like this object of other characters frustrations or or affection and in death She's always 
the pawn trying to enact the will of some villainous character. It's ah, so unfortunate. I mean, except when she's looking out for Matt in the season where the existence of the other side and everyone on it becomes the focus. She she does show up a few times and she's mainly trying to help her brother. She says one thing. She just says, like, stop hanging out with Rebecca. I don't know how much <laughs> that counts as, like, looking out for Matt. Does she... She's there when I think Matt is using the Gilbert ring at this point, and she's there to help him leave the other side by getting back to his body because it's it's collapsing and she doesn't she doesn't want him to be around for to that. be trapped on the other side. That's fair. I'll give you that, Vicky. But damn, you've <laughs> really just been like used all the way through. It's unfortunate, Vicky. I suppose realizing now that like she's not been winning with Jeremy is now focusing on Matt in terms of like getting her back to the living. Matt, of course, sweetie, younger brother, agrees to do what he can. Jeremy, king of overhearing information <laughs> from another room, tells Anna that this is happening. And Anna says that if Vicky has a strong enough anchor in the world of the living, she might be able to cross over for good, which is interesting. She says there'll be a price to pay for this. And it's at this point that Bonnie discovers that Jeremy's just been talking to Anna about all this stuff rather than... I don't remember when it is that Bonnie discovers that Jeremy's been seeing them, period. I'm not sure when it is. Actually, I, we need to brush up my season three. I know there is a scene where Jeremy himself decides to, to tell, tell Bonnie. Bonnie... Yeah, to tell Bonnie stuff that's been going on. That might have been more Anna-centric than Vicky-centric. I think that's why it's not... I don't have it in this doc. Which is a good point because... It's interesting to note for as much as in the first season, right, Vicky is Jeremy's, like, true focus. Vicky is his, like, first love. Even in the latter half, when he meets Anna, who she's, like, trying to work him for the Gilbert Journals, is also, like, only ever using Anna to try and become a vampire so that he can then go looking for Vicky. Because at the time, he believes Vicky just left town. Yes. But he's suspicious that, like, the conditions of that were shady so he wants to become a vampire so he can just like kind of head off and search for her in this it seems that his tie to anna is much stronger than his tie to vicky i think towards the end of season two he definitely fell in love with anna and it's presented at least as as the show is framed it's presented as a healthier relationship for him than what he had with vicky the end of season one you mean his relationship with vicky was like you know peppered with the substance abuse and having to fight tyler for her and her sort of not really wanting to be loved by him because she wasn't used to really being cared for in that way. Whereas his relationship with Anna, once once they stopped using each other and genuinely fell in love, <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's very much framed as having helped him move on completely from Vicky. Indeed, when they both start haunting him in season two, it's really only Anna who he's feeling some sort of unresolved romantic tension with. Vicky, he's just he's just curious about why he's seeing her, but he's he's never he's he's not lamenting over the lost love they had. No, absolutely, and I appreciate that. Like at the end of the day, it's her tie to Matt that becomes more important in this whole like ghost plot because I've had big familiar relationships over romantic relationships, just in general. In shows, they're just more interesting to me, and they're rarely the ones that kind of save the day, quote unquote. You you see a lot of romantic relationships being cherished in the sense of this is the thing that will triumph over the plot, but I am huge on familial bonds being the thing to do it. So I appreciate that like 
at the end of the day, the thing she tries to sort of cross back over is her tie with Matt. Her brothers always looked out for her. She speaks to Matt about bringing her back. Matt does as he's told. Matt arranges a bunch of candles in his room, aiming to perform a spell to anchor Vicky to the world of the living. This would also allow her, because so far the ghosts are only around the people that they're tied to, and they're only able to go where those people go. But if he does this spell, then she'll be able to go anywhere. That does the spell, and the spell works, which, I mean, is a... It's not endemic to Vampire Diaries. A lot of shows do this, but I, I sometimes have gripes with magic being able to be done by just like regular humans. I think what happens there, at least how I read it at the time, is Matt isn't performing the spell. He's just gathered the ingredients. And then Esther, Esther is doing it from the other side because she's already in cahoots with Vicky at that point. Okay, I feel better about that. But like shows will do that sometimes where and I'm sure we'll talk about witchcraft in more detail at some point but like it really sort of witches who are my favorite archetypes in any like supernatural show and i always like hold to be the most interesting archetype and the one with the most potential for like creativity i always feel like they're undercut when what they can do can be done by any Yahoo who can read a book. So that's a whole other thing though. We'll get into that at some other point. But so the spell works, but it turns out Vicky's made a deal with Esther, the original witch as they call her, quote unquote. She can't stay in the real world unless she assists Esther in killing Elena so that Klaus can't make any more hybrids with her blood. Which as usual, Vicky is only too happy to do. <laughs> It really is just like, I shudder to call it opportunistic. What's the word for it? Where it's like, you'll do anything to further your own means. Which is like, I get she's put in a rough position, right? She's trapped on the other side. And from all accounts of the other side, it is not a fun time. And it's just like, wow, you'd really just kill your brother's ex-girlfriend. Ex-brothers, ex so ex-ex-girlfriend's, ex-boyfriend's sister. <laughs> Your brother's ex-girlfriend and your ex-boyfriend's sister. Twofold. You've got two connections to this girl, and you'll just happily kill her to come back tonight. You know what? I, I guess do what you need to do, I suppose. I don't have the lived experience of being an other side ghost, so what do I know? I mean, something that we see in season one, particularly after Vicky has turned into a vampire, is that she makes it clear she's never liked Elena. She actually has a she has a conversation with Elena when Stefan has been trying to teach her to control the bloodlust, and then he leaves for a bit, and Vicky tells Elena that she wants to go see Jeremy, and Elena is not having it, and is like, that's way too dangerous, you're too volatile, you could hurt him, I, I forbid it. <laughs> Who are you to decide? Vicky basically decides, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Let's just drop the kitty gloves. And she's like, Elena, I do not like you. You broke my brother's heart when he was a ride or die for you, head over heels in love with you. So when I look at you, that's all I see. And you aren't going to stop me from seeing Jeremy because I basically have superpowers now. And if you upset me, I will kill you. So, I mean, that was with heightened vampire emotion that she was saying these things. Right. Right. But then also, do those carry over when you become, if you die a vampire, are you that vampire on the other side? You must be because the vampirism is the reason you're on the other side. Non-supernatural creatures just die and either like find peace or go to hell. But the other side entraps 
supernatural creatures when they die. So I would assume that she is her vampire self. I mean, there's all sorts of metaphysical stuff that would come into play there as well, which is never deeply explored. Like, for instance, vampires on the other side don't seem to have bloodlust at all. So there's that. So their their physical nature might not be as overpowering anymore. And also it's like, is the aspect of yourself that remains after you die, is that touched at all by vampirism? I mean, it, it took it took quite a while for us to even see vampires on the other side making the classic vampire face with the fangs oh, and yeah. the veiny eyes. For a long time, it, it seemed that because the need to feed was gone, maybe they just lost that power until like, I think the end of season four, where we finally see Cole doing it. Mm-hmm. And there's like, oh, okay, so so you guys do still have fangs and, and all that. But I was going to say, I do I do think that if Esther had asked Vicky to kill Jeremy, for example, in order to come back she might fully, have said I, I think maybe she would have, yeah, she probably would have been like, ah. But Elena, she was like, oh, okay, no, that's fine. No big deal. <laughs> I mean, no skin off my back. She's like, I just, I just needed an excuse on it. <laughs> <laughs> she said, not little bitch Gilbert, say less. I'll do it for free <laughs> oh, that's kind of hilarious Vicky the mouthpiece of the greater fandom as it turns out who would have oh known? dear shame I don't I don't hate Elena I do think she's a bit frustrating as a main character but only insofar as other main characters are I think ah no we've got more than enough time to talk about Elena this is Vicky's episode yes she intends to kill Elena that's where we dropped off Elena and Rick are rushing to get Stefan in Rick's car because I'm sure Stefan's been attacked somehow. And Matt tells Bonnie that Vicky's out for blood. <laughs> so Vicky, of course, does some Rue Goldberg plan to, like, kill someone because that's the only way you can kill someone in this show. It's got to be a series of steps. It's got to be an elaborate contraption. She uses a cigarette to set a trail of gasoline on fire. This trail leads to Rick's car which Elena and Stefan are now in. Is it a cigarette? I thought it was a blunt. <laughs> in true Vicky fashion. I think she was smoking the, the first joint she'd been able to smoke <laughs> since she died. Off, she was like, finally, a bit of relief. <laughs> that actually, I love that. That's canon now. She's got a joint. She lights up. <laughs> and Elena and Stefan become trapped in Rick's car and cannot get out. And she's... Just kind of chilling in the front seat while Elena's struggling to get out. I think she, I think at one point she's able to actually hold on to Elena's leg and stop her from leaving, even though at least to Elena she's still invisible. Right. Which showed that her, 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 her physical presence in the world was solidifying a little bit. But yeah, she waits in the car while Elena tries to get out. Elena calls for Stefan, who then wakes up and kicks the trunk door open. And then Vicky is ripped out of the car violently and suddenly she's next to Matt because as it turns out Bonnie's done a spell to undo the one that made her corporeal. Matt then tells her she's gotta let go and she disappears. And that's second curtains for Vicky. Or is it third at this point? Yes it's third because first was when she died as a human, (laughs) second as a vampire and now this third time she's been dismissed as a ghost. Poor Vicky can't catch a break. Can't catch a brain. I mean, at, le- at least she got to smoke one time before she <laughs> left. <laughs> one last joint before it's back to eternal torment. Good for her, frankly. I mean, that's episode six of season three. Two seasons will go by before we see her again. And it's what you mentioned, actually. It's 500 Years of Solitude is the iconic episode where Catherine's dying. <laughs> where everyone was going, damn, 
finally Catherine Pierce after so long tormenting everyone is facing her comeuppance. Everyone's waiting for Catherine to die. I believe Bonnie is the anchor to the other side at this point. And Matt asks if Bonnie can see people on the other side. And she says she sees a lot of people, including Vicky. Yes. And this is when Vicky appears to tell him through Bonnie that she loves him. And she's always watching over it. So, you know, that's one nice sweet moment that occurs in the middle of season five. I think later in episode 18, she's mentioned again. This is when the travelers were causing a ruckus in town. This is also a bit of a blind spot for me because when the travelers show up, everything starts getting very hazy as to like what exactly was happening. But Matt is on the other side because he's died with the ring on. The Gilbert ring that he has from... Who does he get his Gilbert ring from? Does he get Rick's one or Jeremy's one? I think he gets... I don't know. I think he gets Jeremy's one. Rick's one is turned into part of the indestructible White Oaks. There you go. Okay. So he gets Jeremy's. He's got that ring on. He has been dying. And then I think moving further and further away from his body every time he dies with the ring on. So he needs to go back and find his body. And while he's on the other side... He looks for Vicky. Is this the first time he dies with the ring on? Is that what it is? No, it's not. But I think it's the it's it's the first time that we are shown that when someone dies with the ring on, they wander around on the other side for a bit, trying to get back to their body. And Vicky actually, I think Vicky tells him that this has happened before. He just never has any memory of it when he wakes up. Which would then explain how, how it was that Esther had been slowly manipulating Alaric in season three to become evil Alaric. <laughs> I refuse to call him Evil Arc. I'm so sorry. What? I will always call him Evil Arc. <laughs> oh my god. What a name. While he's on the other side, he starts looking for Vicky. And he finds her. And she tells him that something's wrong. And that he needs to find his way back to his body. I think this is the point when the other side was falling apart. Yes. Because she gets sucked out. <laughs> she gets sucked backwards up into a hole in the sky. Which... Would suggest that upwards, you know, you associate with a good thing. But as we later find out... Well, she didn't seem to like where she was going, <laughs> so I definitely didn't assume... I didn't assume she was involuntarily being sucked into it's heaven. heaven. <laughs> no, you know what? You're right, because I think it's in that same episode when Lexi is getting pulled away, but she sees, like, a warm light, and she's, like, smiling, and it's like, hell yeah, Lexi finds peace. I guess those are not comparable at all. <laughs> <laughs> We'll find out, confirmed later, she has indeed been sucked into hell. <laughs> Which, this is what I'm saying, right? It's like, in the moment, and this season where she's like, I'm watching over my brother, whatever, whatever. And then in the latter episode, is the one to guide him back to his body so that he becomes safe. She still gets sucked into hell. And there's an implication that's made by Esther, I believe. But, but that's contradicted by... Lexi finding peace because it's not just that you're a vampire that you get sucked into hell. I need to understand this rating system. <laughs> Who gets to find? I mean, for starters, it's Vampire Diaries, so contradictions. The longer the show goes on, the more they are. But I think that maybe Lexi finds peace because she lets go of the concern she has for the people she left behind i.e. Stefan. Whereas Vicky, I think, was still always very worried about Matt, so maybe that's why she wasn't able to find peace before the other side gets collapsed. And I don't think, I think maybe the, the structure of the other side, I mean, we don't have anything definitive to go on, but I, I interpret it as the structure of the other side is such that 
as it began to fall apart, anyone who was unfortunate enough to still be there and hadn't yet found peace just automatically fell into hell. Like hell is outside the other side. <laughs> and once it's once it's gone, that's where you end up. So it's just like, damn, you had too much unfinished business. Trap door opens underneath you and you're down. That is so Trap door or or skylight, since it seemed it seemed hell was upwards. <laughs> TVD canon, hell is above us. <laughs> Alice above us and the devils are here. And that's, um, oh man, is that fourth curtains for Vicky? <laughs> <laughs> it is! <laughs> We're keeping track with us. Died as a human. Died as a vampire. Dismissed as a corporeal ghost. Sent to hell from the other side. <laughs> curtains after curtains for Vicky. She cannot catch a break. Oh man, okay. Even bigger jump from last time, we're going all the way to the last season. Last season, episode 10. <sighs> More so than the first two seasons, the very last season is such a blur in my mind. Because I think I checked out at this point, the storyline felt so, at least at first, felt so lackluster as like a huge ending for the show. It was like we'd hit on so many huge big bads so far. And to Vampire Diaries' credit, they did an alright job at, like, upping the ante for at least a couple seasons because it was Damon, and then it was Catherine, and then it was Klaus, and then it was the originals at large, as well as Esther, then it was Silas. Well, I guess after that is where it really starts to, like, waffle because then it was the Travelers, right? But then they came back up to it with Kai. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. I don't consider Kai to have the same kind of gravitas as the other villains did, but he was competent. He was a threat, a very like palpable threat. So he felt grand in that sense. He was also like a thing you'd seen, but flipped on its head, right? He was a witch, but he was a siphoner. So the, the, the unnatural aspect of that compared to how we'd understood witches so far to be this huge force of nature, was unsettling and so that's why he worked as a villain the heretics in a similar way vampires and witches are not able to go together as by the canon that was established before that you're either a witch or a vampire once you're turned into a vampire you lose all your witchiness and so having these guys be both vampires and witches it could have been a bit hammy and I'm sure some people will say it was, but I feel like the threat of the heretics was also... For as much as a lot of them I don't really remember all that well and I don't hold as memorable, they were real frustrating to deal with because they would just... They would do all the vampire stuff, but they could also just go invisiquate and then disappear. And then you can't find them. <laughs> That's it. After all the big bads that we hit, we went back to the very original, like, Immortal. And then season eight, they said, Sirens. And I, I kind of went, well... I like Sirens. I'm a huge fan of, of, especially horror, right? Where you've got these creatures that consume men to survive. Like, it's such a big horror win. And the Sirens we were presented with were just so lackluster from what I had, like, the Sirens I've encountered in other media. Like, I've read this series called Water Song. It was the Water Song series. I read these books called the Water Song series, which was a YA series, but it had some pretty, like... They were very much, these are monstrous sea creatures and they will eat you. I also read one called Into the Drowning Deep, 
That was a really good book. Not YA, very adult, but like very much presented the horror of sirens or mermaids or any sort of like sea creatures that will eat you. And so <laughs> when the sirens show up in Vampire Diaries and they're just kind of like women who swim <laughs> and are like, you know, conventionally attractive and like maybe will control you and that's it. It just felt so underwhelming. They do seem to have a true form that we don't really get to see much of because I get I guess budgetary constraints. Do we ever see it at all? We see we glimpse like creepy gnarled looking hands, clawed fingertips, like grayish green skin. No face stuff though. No, I don't I don't think we really see their faces properly. I think that might be where the the loss was in terms of what could have been done there. I think the real clinch of doing like a siren or like a monstrous mermaid is that you need to see the monstrosity of it. You need to you can't shy away from the whole locus of the mythology. I, like I want to see the pretty woman transform into like big teeth sloughing skin like monstrous face i want to see her eat a man on screen so to speak so to speak <laughs> so that you feel the weight of why you should be afraid of these women it's not just that they can control you right although that is also a pivotal aspect but the thing is vampires can do that too so yeah. it's not a huge like it's not as impactful as the siren's own thing when we have vampiric compulsion. So how else are you going to sell me on the sirens? Have them eat a man on screen and have them look really monstrous when they're doing it. I think there is one scene where a siren eats somebody, but it's like off to the back of the screen and her back is facing us. So we don't see it happen. It's just implied. And I just was very underwhelmed. I guess the greater the greater villain for that season was technically Arcadius, aka Cade, aka the devil in the TVD <laughs> The devil himself. I mean, that's why I qualified with the earlier bit of the season. But also, when you bring in the literal devil and he's really only there for, what, three episodes? And then he's done? <laughs> and then he's second to Catherine Pierce. <laughs> and then he's not the last villain! Catherine's the last villain and she's been controlling the devil the whole time? That's not threatening. He was just a dude. It's just very underwhelming. No shade to Catherine, she is always that bitch, but like, when you tell me Catherine's been in hell, running hell this whole time, and actually the devil was working for her, it really diminutizes the devil so much. I mean, Catherine is iconic, but I think that unfortunately bringing her back as a villain that we only actually see in the very last episode returns. because obviously Nina Dobrev was busy doing other things. It's not as impactful. Like Catherine wasn't good as an unseen villain. Once you'd seen her, like the, the mystery of her really drove season one. But once you'd seen her, like she was beloved because of how she was on screen, her presence, her behavior. Her manipulations, her actions, those were the cool aspects of her. Her imitating Elena and doing insurgency, like that's the draw of Catherine. If she's like <laughs> masterminding in the background from hell, I don't know. Anyway, so episode 10, Nostalgia's a Bitch. I couldn't tell you what's happening at this point in season eight. There's some bell that needs to be rung in order to bring hellfire to the town? No. The bell is being used for a different purpose at first. The sirens want the bell rung to do something. <laughs> Damon is guilt-tripping himself for some reason I can't remember. Caroline and Bonnie are going into his subconscious. 
And in the subconscious at the Mystic Grill, they see Vicky Donovan. She's got a bandage on her neck and she's working there as a waitress. They track after her and they're, of course, they ask her to take off a bandage and they're expecting to see like bite marks because, again, Vicky in the first season was Damon's play toy for like the first couple episodes. But it's just a hickey when they remove the bandage. There's this sense that like Damon's going through in his own subconscious all the like horrible things he's done and I guess maybe kind of rewriting them to deal with them. I'm not entirely sure what's happening yet. I think season season eight, because of the whole hell aspect of it, was largely about people facing their wrongs and their sins. So of course, Damon, <laughs> there's no shortage when it comes to Damon. It's <laughs> just really the most affected by literal hell. I mean, you know, since, since Catherine was already dead and Klaus had left the show. He is really the point. only one left to like face a big boatload of stuff they've done, yeah. In actual reality, Peter, Matt's father, who is introduced in the last season, and Matt himself meet up in Vicky's grave. Matt tells his dad that the person turned Vicky is currently suffering and about could save him. Peter tells him that he wants the person to suffer, which, you know, what can be said to that? I mean, for Peter to say that, it's like, so where the hell were you when your daughter was dying twice? <laughs> In the space of like a week, <laughs> you went around. Yeah, that's really. Who are you, Peter, my deadbeat dad, to suddenly be like, yeah, for my daughter, whose life you've never been in? At some point later in the episode, Matt has become compelled to ring the bell because it needs to be a Maxwell, which is Matt's father's side of the family, he needs to ring the bell for the siren's purposes. And so he is compelled by the sirens to do so. He tells his father that you've got to beat me up and then kill me so that I don't ring the spell because it will destroy the whole town. His dad, not being with it, I suppose, doesn't want to do so. They argue. Matt starts ringing the bell. And Sybil, the like main siren, realizes that Celine, her sister siren, has the bell. Because they were also at each other's throats for some reason when they were meant to be working together. But that's a whole other story. Damon wakes up, I guess, from his self-imposed torment. And just as Matt is about to ring the bell for the 12th time, because it needs to be rung 12 times, Damon comes behind them and knocks him down. He tells Peter to go away with the bell and apologizes to Matt for Vicky, which it says Matt accepts, but I believe that Matt sort of goes, I'll never forgive you, but I accept your apology. That's sort of the note that they end off on. Vicky stuff happening without really Vicky present. I think in the next episode is when Kelly Donovan comes back, or Vicky and Matt's mother comes back, to Mystic Falls. This is... <laughs> This is an especially funny episode to me because... Because of Kelly's fate or... <laughs> because, because Kelly's not been on the show, I believe, since season two, mm. when she was at a Lockwood party. Uh, no, no, no. They were at Vicky's funeral. I think that was... What was that? Was that season two or season one? It was season one. It was Vicky's funeral that was hosted, I believe, by the Lockwoods. And she gets drunk and fools around with Tyler and Matt tells her to leave because she's being incredibly embarrassing and she's never been here anyway. And we don't see her for six seasons and she comes back and it turns out, <laughs> it turns out she died years ago. She tells some random story. I think it was one year ago. She tells Matt. Is it one year? Oh, okay. Yeah, she, she, she tells Matt that a year ago I had a fall. <laughs> And I guess she hit her head and died 
and understandably was sent to hell. Yeah, there's no... I, I think throughout the course of the show, we're probably going to question a number of people who were sent to hell. Kelly Donovan is not someone I'm going to question. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, what is, one of maybe the most cardinal sins, you just kind of abandoned your kids. Abandoned your kids knowing there was no other primary guardian available. But yeah, she has died and gone to hell, and now she's back. She does a whole kind of, you know, the drunk speech at the event. She should talks a bunch of people who are there. She says that the rest of the town didn't care about her. And she tells them that only Catherine cared about her and brought her back from hell. And that Kelly set a gas leak and that this house is going to explode. And so naturally, I think people rush to escape. The house explodes. I won't get into the other details because there's so much that has happened by the time season eight happens. It's not important. She is in the process process of dying though even though she's back like she goes into the bathroom and is vomiting like this blackish blood it doesn't seem it seems like she's here for a good time not a long time so as she's dying again she tells matt and stefan that this explosion she said was only a distraction while vicky who's also been resurrected from hell is gone to ring the bell that matt had been ringing earlier but never finished and destroy mystic falls with hellfire which uh, We'll get into the Hellfire storyline at some point when we actually discuss season 8 stuff, but my god. We then cut to Vicky, who starts ringing the bell, <laughs> preparing to destroy Mystic Force. It really is such, like, a feverish return to this character because it's like, granted, when we left off, she got sucked into hell. There's no getting around that. But when we left off, she seemed to be in a, you know, my sweet brother, I'll watch over you, etc., etc. And now, bam, she's here to destroy the town. I mean... When you've been in hell for, what, two years, three years? <laughs> who knows? Also, when you've been in hell with Catherine, the, the master manipulator, who knows what, what poison Catherine dripped into her ear? In the next episode, she's ringing this bell. Damon attacks her and throws her out the window. Matt is pissed off, of course, but Vicky comes back to life and tries to ring the bell again. Damon goes through a series of just like trying to kill Vicky and she keeps coming back. And so they're like, well, she can't be killed. <laughs> he tells Matt, you've got to convince her because this isn't working. And then he dips out because I guess there's more important things going on. It is the series finale after all. Vicky tells Matt that she doesn't have time for this because he tries to like appeal to a better nature. She says that Catherine has promised her that she'll be free of hell forever if she brings the bell once every five minutes and Mystic Falls burns completely. And Vicky says that she will not stop because hell is unbearable torture. We've heard a number of times in, I mean, it is hell. They couch it in, well, it is a hell, but it is understood to be hell in the traditional sense of you're being tortured for eternity. So she's ringing this bell. Matt's like, please do the right thing. She's like, I'd rather be dead than go back. So Matt then calls an evacuation protocol because at this point, Matt is the sheriff of Mystic Falls. They announce it's a gas leak and they get everyone out of town because the hellfire is coming. Matt reveals to his dad that they're running out of time. Everything's going to get destroyed. Vicky is the one who's destroying it. So Matt and Peter go back to find Vicky one last time as she's ringing the bell. Vicky is emotional seeing her father. I am so curious to know like when exactly he disappeared from their lives because I, if she recognized him, it's not like he dipped when they were born, right? Or at least he, it's not like he dipped when Matt was born because she would have been like a year old. Yeah. So I'm just curious when he left. I'll need to go back and like find out because I know Matt and him speak a bit about it. She, she says, yes, she says that he's 15 years too late to be a father. 
So I don't know if that's 15 years up until her age or 15 years up until the present. Because that could mean he left when she was three because she died at 18. Or, I mean, it's been seven years since she was 18. So she he left when she was 10. Maybe. 10, ten, ten feels more probable it feels right it feels it feels more probable considering you know that as absent as their mother kelly was she seemed to be the more present parent so i assume i assume that peter dipped long before that long story short they have like an emotional talk peter says that despite everything you know he wants to see them one last time they're not going to stop her i think at this point they need the bell to be rung for some other consequence to happen he says that he just wants to see her one final time before everything ends they all are crying it's very sad it's this reunion of the family without kelly which you know that kind of sucks because she's actually like you're saying she was at least somewhat present it's kind of crazy that the dad gets this sad reunion and not their mom but they hug and i mean the events of season eight happen as they happen i think she rings the bell and hellfire hellfire burns through mystic falls but bonnie as she always does uh, saves the day after this reunion the next time we see vicky is in the epilogue the incredibly long epilogue of the final season where matt is doing a sort of voiceover discussing his journal that he's keeping i guess as a sheriff i don't know he says and i quote dear diary we survived that night mystic falls is safe I remain the sheriff. They even gave me a bench. I'm thinking of running for mayor. <laughs> He's going to be everyone on the Founders Council. <laughs> mayor, sheriff. Truly the only remaining... He's mayor, sheriff. What are the Founding Council rules? Because It's mayor, Wife sheriff. Wife of mayor. <laughs> doctor. Because the Gilberts were doctors. The Lockwoods were mayors. Logan Fell was in charge of the news, I guess. Yes, propaganda machine. He's all of it. <laughs> Matt Donovan, one-man council. <laughs> he says, and Vicky, well, I think she found peace. Somehow, it feels like she did. And in the scene where whatever townspeople are left, it truly feels like Mystic Falls is completely killed off by the end of that season. It's like bare bones town. But there's people clapping for Matt as he officializes this bench he's talking about. And Vicky and Tyler, who's also unfortunately dead by the end of the, the show, are looking on with a smile, implying that they found peace together at the end of the show. Which is nice. Amicable exes. I mean... <laughs> Do you think there's still exes in peace? I like to think that when Tyler died, he probably went to go find Liv, who was his last love. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, on this sixth and final curtain for Vicky Tyler, <laughs> she does finally find peace. We're not, we're not counting all the curtains of Damon repeatedly killing her in the last episode, even though it didn't work. No, those... Those, mm, mm, those are quarter curtains at most. Okay. Does she really die? I, I don't think of it as her dying and coming back. Granted, like four of the curtains weren't death. They were mostly dismissal. Damn, you're right. Is this the tenth curtain then? Technically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. X lives and X deaths of Vicky Donovan. But yeah, that's Vicky, I mean, start to finish. It, it really is unfortunate that most of if not all of her time in the show, is spent at the whims of others. But I mean, she was she was a cool character. She was like, she had a spunky personality. 
she's a lot of fun to watch when she's doing devious things. And like I said, she's she's very she's very much tied to a lot of integral plot points. I mean, she's the she's the first person that we see transition on screen. She's the first vampire killed on screen. She's the first main character to die. It's her death that leads Jeremy to Anna and starts off that relationship. It's moving on from her sort of, I think, spurns Matt to try to let go of Elena, which then opens him up to being with Caroline. And she's also one of the first ghosts we see. She she leads us into the whole arc about the other side and how the mechanics of that work and how these ghosts can become corporeal under certain circumstances, which starts happening a lot more often as the show goes on. <laughs> really ramps up. <laughs> no, yeah. A lot of a lot of firsts for this show. And so only fitting that she is in fact our first episode. Kayla Uwo. Haven't really seen her in a lot of things after Vampire Diaries. I've seen her in one episode of Netflix's Lucifer. She was in the first season, I believe. She was some fun there. She was an actress. I hope she didn't go to hell. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a very huge possibility in that show. Uh, no, I think she's alive and well by the end of that episode. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun. Really loved her portrayal of this character. I don't remember Vicky from the books. So I don't even have like a reference point to be like, oh, not my video, whatever. Granted, the books I read as like a literal child. So all I know about the books is that in the books she's Vicky Bennett, no relation to Matt Honeycutt, and she is attacked by Damon, I believe, in the books as well, at the beginning when he's being an antagonist. And in the books, the Bennets are also founding family, but because they're black in the show, they can't be because slavery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it's 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 actually. I mean, now that you touch on that, it's interesting because the founding families in the show are explicitly stated to be the Gilberts, the Fells, the Forbes, the Lockwoods, and the Salvatores. Yeah. But when Matt and Vicky speak about feeling alienated from the rest of their founding family friends, Bonnie is never grouped with the Donovans in that regard. She's almost treated as like a an honorary founding family member, or at least. She's seen as an equal of the rest of them, and it might be because Emily Bennett had come to the town basically around the time that the rest of their ancestors. I mean, yes, in the sense of the actuality, right? But it's interesting that it's discussed by the characters, because when you think about the Bennets, I don't think they were on record to be like the huge influence that they actually were in Mystic Falls, right? Because Emily was Catherine's handmaiden. They sort of blew into town post the founding of Mystic Falls, or I guess during the founding of Mystic Falls. It's not like the impact that the Bennets had is represented in the town itself. It's really represented through the lineages and the supernatural side. Of it. I guess for the humans and what the humans know, it's less that Bonnie's family is known to have had an impact, you know, on the non-magical side of things. I think it's more that... It's just that they've been around since... Yeah, the prestige of having been around all that time. Whereas, because Matt, when Matt finds out that his father and the Maxwell line that he's descended from had actually been in Mystic Falls before the Salvatores and co. got there, he does say in that final season, he says to his dad that, you know, it would have been nice if you'd stuck around and taught us this because my whole life I felt so alienated from my friends whose families were all founders and had all been here forever. And once again, he doesn't exclude Bonnie from that. So I think I think Bonnie was seen as part of that clique that had been in the town forever. 
I really the Bennett. There's so much to chew on with the with the Bennett family that. And we we will we will get into that. We Ooh, we, <laughs> we certainly will. Yes, there's a there's lot, just a lot of things that surprise me about how they work, and far more things that don't. But yeah, that's Vicky Donovan. I mean, I don't know if you have any last burning thoughts. Oh, one thing I'll say. Uh, <laughs> Uh, speaking of the, the mechanics of being a ghost on the other side, every other character who dies, as far as I can tell, the costume department tried to make sure they were wearing the clothes they died in when they manifest as ghosts. But Vicky is killed um, after attending a Halloween party. That's where she attacks Elena after Elena catches her accidentally feed on Jeremy. She's dressed as a vampire with a high collar and, and all, everything you would expect from a classic vampire outfit. And that's what she's wearing when Stefan kills her. But every time she appears as a ghost after that, she is just in normal civvies. <laughs> so that's never explained to us. I mean, I'm willing to let that one slide only because, and this also goes into the discussion of like, what remains after you die in this world? I feel that if... If you're up to come back as some incorporeal spirit or ghost, you would come back in your most recognizable self, whether that is to you or to the people who are perceiving you as a spirit. I think that your most like usual clothing, attire, appearance, styling, like on average, how you perceive yourself or how others perceive you is what you come back as. But I mean, if you're saying in every other instance, everyone comes back the way they died, then damn. Not to mention people who get pulled through the other side later on come back wearing the clothes that their ghost selves had manifested in. So it ain't... <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other problem. That's a whole... The magic of, of ghosts crossing over and becoming corporeal and then staying on this side forever fully remains baffling to me. I just, I really need to go back and dig into that, try and understand how does this work and why does, why, why does no one question it? Where's the matter coming from? I understand it's magic, but their bodies are burned up or buried or gone. Where's the physical substance coming from? Could you do this infinitely? Could you create a trail of dead bodies each time you die and are brought back from the other side? I have That's so actually questions. possibly how it works. I don't I mean the mechanics might vary because in in the originals the spin-off show at least when Esther and Cole are brought back on two different occasions um they come back naked. So they don't come back with clothes. That might just be how it works in New Orleans though. <laughs> <laughs> the New Orleans magic is different from the Virginian magic. They they work different down there in the bayou. <laughs> I did not want to do an accent. But no, they, they, they really have a home in that show that like magic is just a little bit different. It's very it's very closed off from magic elsewhere. Like magic in the originals is very insular to New Orleans and it's very insular to their ancestors. So I'm inclined to believe that it's just like Blanklates when you go into the original show as to how things work other than the very basics. That's still interesting about Vicky. I guess that does it. That's the first one done. Hopefully many more of these to come. Right now we're kind of, do we want to say who we're feeling about doing this? Yeah, go for it. We will most likely be doing Anna Zhu, the natural subsequent to Vicky. She shows up pretty much just after Vicky dies. And just 
narratively and thematically, I think there's a lot there that mirrors the Vicky stuff. So yeah, next episode will hopefully be Anna. If you've enjoyed this episode at all, if even a singular moment made you go, oh, that was pretty funny. Or <laughs> that was pretty insightful. Consider sticking around for the rest of the season. If you want to write in with any thoughts or comments or questions for us, you can email us at animalattackpod at gmail.com or you can tweet us at animattackpod. That's at A-N-I-M attack pod. Uh, you'll also find the link tree in our bio that links to all of our online stuff. So feel free to dive in. Thank you for listening and see you in the next one. You can also say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be the only one saying goodbye. Like, weird. like Vicky, I like to leave it open-ended. Will I be back? Who knows? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, no. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, thank thank you so much for listening. Um and hopefully you'll be back for more. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>